Welcome. We have a, an amazing guest with us. Uh, absolutely one of the foremost cybersecurity experts on the planet. In fact, uh, not sure about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, you know, uh, so Chris, the crazy hacker, the crazy hacker. <laughs> Chris was recommended to me by who I had thought was the smartest cybersecurity person on the planet. And Harold said, Oh no, no, no. Chris makes me, you know, uh, look stupid. Chris understands the future of cybersecurity uh, more than, anyone uh, on the planet according to who I thought was the most foremost. So very exciting to have you. Please, let's jump right into it. Uh, you know, wh where, what is the future of cybersecurity? I think it's interesting. I mean, you've got so many different areas to focus on on this one. I mean, especially if you think of where we are going from a human standpoint. Um, you know, we see ransomware now all over the computer systems. There's a number of us that are obviously doing a lot of research on human augmentation and uh, not just from the bioengineering and the, the nanotech engineering standpoint side of things, but also from where we're looking at augmenting humans and then from where we are taking what we have and digitizing ourselves and putting it into, into systems. So, you know, you want to look at cybersecurity, now you have to go from not a machine, but now you're looking at the human themselves as a target. Yeah. So some fun stuff on that one. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I know that... Uh... There's a serious problem with you know uh, you know bots going online and uh, you know learning people's passwords and breaking into their bank accounts and doing stuff like that. But uh, when you're talking about you know augmented, are you talking about creating a virtual version of myself and then uh, using myself to access uh, private uh, security areas that one shouldn't be able to access otherwise? Yeah, I mean that that is obviously one aspect of it. Then you can take it a step further, which is you look at the human body itself and you're like, it's got a lifespan of you know a useful lifespan. 60, 70 years, more than that, you're stringing out biology, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, how do I take my physical, my, what my physical essence is? And then you have to go, what is my physical essence? And go, how can I actually digitize that? It's something, I've got a machine or two that's behind me in the lab space that I'm actually, I have an EEG headset and it's learning. I, it learns when I want tea. It's actually learning when I want to access my systems. It's learning before I do something. So it's a predictive architecture. And what I'm doing is I'm doing it to figure out what's going on, but I'm also doing it to see how much data I can put back in again. So oh, some wow. fun stuff. Wow, yeah. that's very cool. Uh, no, that is, uh, that is extremely cool. So you were born and raised in Scotland, right? Nope. Um, just to confuse the hell out of everything. Uh, my father was British military, so uh -huh. I was actually born in Cyprus. I have one English and one Scottish parent. Uh -huh. And then grew up all over the world, literally all over the world. Yeah, I've read that Cyprus beaches are the uh, best in the Mediterranean. You know, I, I was a kid, and then one of the places we ended up was uh, Sardinia, which was absolutely amazing right in the middle of the place. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, a couple of nice places definitely there. And, you know, I've, I've been fortunate. I've traveled rather a lot in work and career and military as well. Yeah, now you had a, a, an amazing uh, career uh, doing a lot of uh, very awesome stuff. I, I, I want to jump into a question that I, I need to have answered. How easy is it to hack into a Tesla? <laughs> so we managed to, when we were up at a Gurkhan conference, uh, Rachel Arnold, myself, um, and Jason, uh, there was uh, four of us or five of us that went after this Tesla. Uh, we got into the Tesla inside a minute. I think it was a minute and six seconds or something like that. And then once we were inside the Tesla, we disabled a whole bunch of stuff. Um, we were we were 
we had the whole thing down. Once we practiced and did some other stuff inside a few minutes, we intercepted the signals, we did replays, we did some really cool stuff. Um, so they, to Tesla's credit, I will actually give that the Tesla security team are actually pretty cool folks. They are one of the few teams in the automotive space who are paying attention, want to know, want to learn, and want to understand. So they took a lot of the stuff that we've done and a lot of other teams have done, and they've done a lot of improvements to their credit. And so is breaking into a Tesla as easy as breaking into a phone? Phones are easier. I mean, it's as okay. simple as that. Because, you, I mean, although saying that, I mean, if you think about it, I hate to say it, if you look at most modern cars, they're nothing more than a phone on wheels. Yes. Because you have wireless signals, Bluetooth, BLE signals, you have all the data, you have the same kind of data sets, but you have, you know, with a car, it's basically a small and medium business on wheels. It's a hundred system computer systems and a hundred plus million lines of code. And uh, you hope it keeps going in the same direction, the same way. So when did you get into computer systems? Were, were you, uh, <laughs> I mean, I coded at the age of six and seven. So I just, yeah. Um, I, so I, my first computer was, uh, I was at a boarding school for a year or less than a year. I didn't last a year at the boarding school. And that was 10. And uh, that was the first computer, which was the ZX80, ZX81. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, uh, the first one I had confiscated by the police was when I was 14. That was a Commodore 64 and an Atari, oh. one of the old Atari 6800s. Yeah, yeah we broke into a bank with that. It's kind of fun. Oh, no, that is very cool. Uh, definitely very cool. Um, you like, uh, like Matthew Broderick from War Games. Uh, <laughs> Actually, that was one of the inspirations from doing line-by-line -line coding to doing war dialing uh, with a, an entire script of code. So, yeah, a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I, I love that movie. Um, and, you know, it, it shows people that, uh, you know, you can teach a computer uh, almost anything. You know, I, I do simple stuff. I just teach uh, machine learning how to make economic predictions. You know, what you're doing uh, is so much more complicated, uh, at least, you know, you know, so, so tell me about machine learning and cybersecurity. Um, deep learning. Yeah, there's, learning. there's some pretty awesome stuff on that one. There's a, there's a company I'm working with, uh, the Calypso AI folks. And as nice as I can put it, what we're trying to do is bring some level, basically level the playing field with actually AI and ML. So either advanced, either augmented intelligence or actual, you know, actual intelligence as well as machine learning. And a lot of it comes down to how do you actually tell the difference? How do you understand it? How do you measure it? How do you understand this ability to learn, improvise, you know, privacy ethics and all the other stuff that go with it. So we're building a framework and uh, the, the Eclipse AI guys are doing an amazing job of literally holding some of our people in our industry accountable because everybody's saying, well, I've got the, the, the best or one of the best AI systems out there. And yeah, we're starting to call bullshit on that. Oh, wow. That's cool. So small world, Eclipse AI, we, um, we did a, a piece on you guys maybe six months ago. Oh, no and, way. And two or three of your colleagues were very helpful with it. And Tyler uh, and those guys, there's some, and I've only just joined up with them and I'm hanging out behind, behind the scenes. I can't remember. Um, I mean, we, uh, Rebellion puts out about five to you know six pieces a week. And so this is probably oh, wow. how we know. So, yeah. you know, uh, we're talking about a lot of pieces since then. I could Google. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Rebellion to get it, but. Yeah, they're fantastic guys, and for me, uh, the logic yeah, for like throwing in the right, yeah, the logic for for like helping, and I helped those guys and some other folks out. But the logic, honestly, for them was because they're doing a lot of work in the government space. Because unfortunately, a lot of customers, a lot of companies, go up and go, "Oh, we've got the best, and we're wonderful," and yeah, government doesn't know to ask the right questions. So we're acting as that buffer to go. Actually, let's really dig into it 
and understand you know what the levels of learning are what the intelligent behavior architecture is how often you know the deal i mean you build this stuff you know how to actually understand that no what we're doing is is adding extra layers in there to go not only understand it but build it architect it design it and a whole bunch of other things kind of fun stuff so i mean in the 1970s the major scare were you know these you know plane hostages uh 10, 20 years from now, will there be Russian hackers taking over planes and asking for $20 million? Is that, is that <laughs> No, I'd, so here's, here's, I'll give you 20, you wanna go 20 years in the future. Here's yeah. what'll happen. You'll be sitting there, not with your, well, probably with your iPhone version 25 or version 30, <clears throat> possibly it'll actually just appear on the eyelid. I mean, if you look at where we're actually doing with augmentation of the, um, of the, the systems inside the eye, it'll likely appear there you'll get an email or a message and the message will be simple. It'll be like, Hey, nice to see you. Hope you're doing okay. Hey, I recognize the fact you have a heart implant or maybe you have something from the brain implant. Um, love it. Got the stuff here. Uh, if you'd like to continue to use it, just deploy, you know, we'll just do a thousand, just, just put a thousand in bitcoins into this account. Otherwise we're going to turn it off. Yeah. And that's it. Nothing else. I'll just bleed you slowly. Yeah. Wow. Because you won't say no. No, no, you won't, yeah. And that's it. I don't need 20 million. If I can basically, and I already have, we already have the database. There's a bunch of us that run a, a database of like user IDs and passwords, and we're sitting at 19 billion, I think, last time we indexed the stupid thing. So we already have that information. The healthcare systems are losing all that data on a regular basis. I can give you a list of who, who has an insulin pump, who has an augmented system, who has a valve, who has a replacement knee that has a chip in it to see if it's done properly. I pull the code out of that. I send you an email. I tell you, if you want to keep using it, absolutely wonderful. Pay me a thousand dollars. Oh, wow. No. No, that's, that's really, uh, that's, that's, I mean, it's not nice. <laughs> yeah, no, you've got people by the short and curlies there and that's, or, Actually, sorry, let me let me go back. The other thing that's huge on this one, you're talking about the markets and the amazing stuff you're doing there. You think about the markets. The markets are based on intermodal. So the ability to basically freely move goods between point A and point B. What if I decided in the middle of, I don't know, next week, I decide to start turning some of those shipping containers over in Portland Harbor, Oakland Harbor, Singapore Harbor, somewhere in China, somewhere in India. Mm -hmm. I start turning ships over. You're going to pay me money to not turn those ships over because it's easy enough to do it. I get in through the VSAT 9000 system. On a lot of them, I end up in the maintenance control system. I flood one side of the ballast tanks. Game over. Yeah, game over indeed. Oh, wow. No, I mean, I, I tell everyone that, you know, cybersecurity is the, there, there is no safer bet in terms of a growth industry over the next 20 years. Uh, I mean, that, that is where crime is heading. Um, and it's already, it's already gone there. And it'll be more and more, I mean, you know, you're talking about breaking into a Tesla in a few minutes. I mean, how, how long does it take to break into an iPhone? 30 seconds, 10 seconds, two minutes? It's not long. It depends on, you know, if you've got the, if you have the exploits, you can be in fairly quickly. And then when you think about it, all that's stopping me is the human. If I can engineer you as a human to click on a link to do something on your computer, your phone or whatever else it is, wow. you've let me in. This is where we've had the failing. We're all chasing the technology, but we haven't looked at the human aspect of it. What can we do to actually help the human? Or back to what we're doing with AI and ML, at what point can we take the human out of the equation? <laughs> is that a good thing or not? No, I've got to ask, you know, one of our, um, 
you know, uh, what, one of the people we work with is a member of uh, MIT's Lincoln Labs, and yeah. they, and they do missile defense. Um, so they they've been contracted <laughs> to to create um, the remote control essentially. So you know, the missiles are all in um, you know the South Pacific, <laughs> and but they want to be able to control it from Langley. So oh yeah, uh, yeah believe yeah. me, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I you know, I hear, I hear about all these you know. Um, you know, constantly being hacked by uh, the Chinese, constantly, constantly. Yeah. Uh, in the war of hacking between the U.S. and the Chinese, do you, is it close? Do we have the advantage? Um, the Israelis are still beating the crap out of all of us. I mean, they oh, have. Really? A, oh wow! They have an amazing, like ridiculously amazing. There, uh, you if you want to do an amazing study. Well, my on, father-in-law is a cybersecurity guy from Israel. And so, but he's, he's, you know, he's an Israeli, so he's quiet, you know, he doesn't talk. Exactly. Well, sometimes until you get him into a conversation, at which point, yeah, it's kind of fun, but not on those topics. Um, Yeah, that, if you want to really do a case study on like who's leading the pack, I would argue our friends over in Israel are still leading the pack. And then it's China's amazing. We're pretty good. Germany's pretty good. Soviet Union's got some amazing people. Uh, UK's got some fantastic people. South America, Brazil, and some of those countries, some amazing people. Korea's got some amazing people. Israel just dominates. Israel definitely has their shit together. That's about the nicest way I can put it. They are very, very focused. And they have to be focused. Yeah. Because um, it's a mentality. You know, I remember I was over, I go over there on a semi-regular basis, and I remember talking to somebody, and he said very simply, he's like, the U.S. doesn't have the mentality because if somebody attacks us, we have minutes or longer to react. Whereas in Israel, they got seconds. They have to know what the hell is going on. Yeah. No, I mean, Israel is very much under fire in a way no other country is. Yeah, no. Pretty much, yeah. No, no I mean, the, the, the whole the UN community is after them at the same time. We don't do politics on rebellion. We're all at the no, beach. smart move, because you're right. I mean, nobody, everybody's throwing rocks at everybody else at that point in time, and everybody honestly needs their freaking heads banged together. No. To your point, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, no, wonderful accent. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, do you, you, you remind me of the character uh, that Hugh Jackman played in Swordfish. I don't know if you ever. <laughs> oh, I'm very familiar with that character. I've also had the interesting conversations with the FBI on a semi-regular basis as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. We've we've had some inter- and other agencies. I'm. On one hand, I'm very fortunate. I get to work with some of those folks, and there's some amazing people inside there. On the other hand, I've I've done a really nice job of annoying the hell out of some of them too, as well. Yeah, no, I can I, I can imagine uh, <laughs> you imagine you'd be both a huge asset. Uh, polarizing, and polarizing is a nice way to Polar, put it. Polarizing <laughs> is probably the most apt. Uh, yeah, uh, terminology. Um, so. Can we sleep at night? Do you do? Is our government secure or kind of not really? <sighs> parts of it. Yeah, we'll go. With, how about we go with parts of it? I, I, so here's what about, the, what about the nuclear system? I mean, uh, what about our, our you know the, the nuclear missiles in you know oh. Omaha? Uh, are they safe? You know, I love the fact at the moment the only way to get them is it's through all sorts of interesting doors and all sorts of interesting people who will shoot first and ask questions later. I am a lot less keen on on hooking them all up to a more comprehensive system, shall we say. Um, You know, we talk about air gaps. We've been able to bypass air gap networks for a number of years, and we keep finding more and more innovative ways of doing it. Um, So, so, 
Yeah. Hmm? You make a great point. Sometimes the simplest answer in life, I mean, I, I, I believe in Occam's razor. Simplest answer is usually the best answer. And so yes. people ask, our rebellion research, how do you know that there isn't a bug in your AI? You know, run multiple versions of the AI in a silo. And if, yeah. one, if one is different, then you got an issue. You know, I mean, that's, you don't need to be complicated about stuff. <laughs> some things in life can be very, very simplistic. And I agree with you. Have some big doors, people with some big guns. And yeah. Just leave it at that. Yeah, uh, the only exactly. problem is, again, back to your point, you know, 20 years time, the people that are coming into those facilities, how can you guarantee that I haven't got to you? I mean, you think about it, the stuff we're doing on biotechnology at the moment and the ability to actually write data into DNA. Yep. So at that point in time, we're nothing more than a big ass walking USB stick. How can you make sure that the individuals that you have that have those fingers on the buttons have not been compromised at that level. I mean, that's that's getting to some nasty stuff that yeah. we can't even, we don't even know the right questions to ask, let alone even how to solve the problem. Oh, no, it's amazing stuff we're doing in biotech. Uh, the Terrytown-based biotech from Regeneron is looking at a, uh, a group of peoples in Africa that have such a resistance to cancer for whatever their natural inclinations are that, you know, if they can, you know, reprogram their DNA, then maybe they can, you know, create, uh, you know, well, one, uh, treatments for cancer, but two, you know, ways for future, you know, procreation to be, you know, to be able to procreate, you know, cancer, not cancerless, but, you know, reduce everyone's chances of pancreatic cancer and reduce your chance of child's, you know, colon cancer. So, um, oh yeah. I mean, that's, that to me is, I mean, there's some fascinating stuff in there, but the flip side of that is we charged down the technology field. We did it, uh, did some work with a, a fairly well-known lab uh, a couple of years ago where they were basically binding uh, DNA sequence, so RDNA, bird flu sequences, with um, all sorts of protein architectures that had been uh, bioengineered to attack Alzheimer's and some other stuff like that. We sit there literally with a couple of hundred dollars worth of our equipment, a bunch of antennas. We rewrite the code on the fly that instead of it going after Alzheimer's, it kills red blood cells. And they're like, well, why would anybody do that? Well, like, have you seen what we do as a real? I mean, so I love the fact that we're charging on the technology stuff. I think it's amazing, but I would rather we learn from some of our lessons in the past and do it in a way where safety and security is built in right at the beginning. No, you mentioned that and something, you know, we covered uh, Tensley Rebellion was a 737 Max where, you know, when you actually start looking into what Boeing did, I mean, it's embarrassing. Boeing's supposed to be the, you know, the banner American aviation company and one, they're outsourcing software to $8 people Two, they're rushing things through, you know, three, they had an, they had an issue with where the engines were. And yep. as, as always, you, you have a, you try to make a software fix for a hardware issue, you yeah. know, for non-tech people for, you know, m many of our, our listeners and, and readers are hedge fund, mutual fund uh, yeah. people, and they don't understand this. But the point is that, you know, you build a computer that can only do so many things. And so because the physicality is limited, you have the software developers try and fix it. And that was the issue with the Max, where the yeah. engines were too high up. And so the thing, you know, naturally went upwards. And so th then they didn't want to sell the safety program, which is just ridiculous. I mean, you're, you're offering this to African airlines where the pilots are very poorly trained. I mean, yeah. I oh, come from a family of pilots, so I, I've heard war stories from Africa. I mean, I've, I've heard about pilots going back to go to the bathroom and seeing a goat being charred in, you know, in the hallway. Yeah. While yeah. 
I mean, it, it's the Wild West there. Another one had a first officer who didn't speak English, never been on a plane before. It's, yeah. And so for Boeing to interact with these airlines and give them a piece of hardware like that is, I don't want to say criminal, but, you know. It's, I, I think my frustration on that one is, I mean, uh, let's, I would, let's take Africa out of the equation yeah. and let's even go with the fact that those pilots were trained through a system that actually trained them properly. And those pilots were trained to a system that wasn't the one that they, you know, exactly. they weren't given all the information. It's the same thing with security. It's like you just expect it to work. You're not given all the information. When it goes wrong, most people don't know what to do. And that's part of the problem we have today is, you know, it's security by obscurity, unfortunately, a lot of the time. Most times. people don't realize that none of the 737 MAX pilots had actually ever been in a 737 MAX simulator. Right. The closest 737 MAX simulator to Africa is in Singapore. Of course, because Singapore is the richest place ever, can afford everything. But of course, no airline's going to pay to have their pilot fly to Singapore and do, you know, the simulator. So, and it was, yeah, the MAX was yeah. egregious on so many, on so many grounds. Uh, yeah. Such a, such a, it's, abs uh, and, of, you know. And again, it's, I think one of the interesting things is as well, you, you know, you talk about, our industry so security being one of the one yep. of the i guess the golden child industries for the moment i have a couple of challenges with that one which is one we are never we are rarely if ever held accountable for our own actions so that's one of my biggest frustrations is we tell you that we're going to secure you yet we can't to be perfectly honest and secondly when you take a step back and you you kind of look at what the industry's done and where the industry is going not only we're we not held accountable for it, we don't have a good way to solve these problems either. And I think that's that's one of those frustrations. It's like we're we're literally in some ways making this shut up as we go along. But are there winners like Palo Alto Networks, you know, who secure so much of what Google does? I mean, is their product superior? Is that you know? I think it's so. Again, it's it's all you want to talk about. So when we talk about safety and so when we talk about security. There are no absolutes. I, I think that's one of those things, you know, Palo Alto, will, will we secure the internet. No, actually you don't. What you're doing is reducing the risk. Will I get a better risk reduction by buying Cisco or Palo Alto or F-Secure or Checkpoint or somebody else? That's depending upon your situation. And quite honestly, that depends upon who's attacking you because I know I can go past a Palo Alto network exactly the same way I can go past your CrowdStrike and I can go past your carbon black and I can get to your computer. It just depends entirely upon how much effort I want to put in. I mean, there's no part of the home that you really can't get to at this point. I mean, what's no. really secure? Nothing. Nothing. No. And I think that's it. We keep promising. We keep saying, we keep using absolutes. I can keep you secure. The answer is no, you can't. No, you can't. I can reduce your risk. Um, and, and this is the insurance industry. It's like, okay, what have you done to reduce that risk? And how have you educated the human, the technology and the process? Whereas we always focus on, I will buy more technology, it will secure me. No, what? It just reduces your risk. Yeah. I mean, would you recommend uh, our listeners to, are there specific uh, apparatuses that you recommend over others? Or I think awareness. I think the biggest thing, honestly, is make yourself more aware. Uh, we, I just did a podcast earlier today where we talked about kids and the internet. I mean, so many probably a lot of the people that listen to you have got kids. We hand kids these devices. This is the most dangerous device on the freaking planet, bar none. With a gun, I can only kill you if I see you. With this, I can kill you across the planet. It doesn't really matter. And yet we hand them to our kids and we hand them to everybody like candy. And we don't take a time to educate ourselves. We don't take a time to get the awareness and the understanding and keep up at least with a little bit of it 
so that when I do send you something or I try something, it doesn't work right off the bat and that I actually have to make effort to break into you. Wow. This has been just an awesome, awesome talk. You're really you. one of the most fascinating people I've uh, come across. <laughs> uh, to come across some cool, uh, some awesome people, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I do. Uh, but no, you're 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 up there. Um, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, thank you so much. Rebellion Research is very happy to have you on, and uh, have a, a great evening. Yeah, you too. Thank you very, very much for the time. It was greatly appreciated. Is there anything, is there a blog you have or anything you want our readers to go to? Uh, I'm typically on LinkedIn. The best place to find me is LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my civilized place. Uh, You'll find me under there under SciDragon1. Just look for me. And then Twitter is my ranting home. But LinkedIn's where I tend to be more civilized. Awesome. Awesome. Well, have a great night and thank you again. You too. Thank you very much.